0: This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Today we're going to cover the book The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, a book about discovering and Recovering Your Creative Self. As for who recommended this book, it was recommended by both Tim Ferriss and Brian Koppelman. Brian Koppelman is a screenwriter, novelist, director, producer, uh, known for the hit show Billions, which, despite being a hit, is one that I've never heard of. Have you you heard of that one, Eric? Yeah, I've heard of it, never seen it. Okay, well, there you go. So I've I've never heard of it. about billionaires. Okay, well there you go, uh, and he is also uh, he's he's got a podcast of his own called The Moment. So if you're interested in uh, some of this content and uh, some of those things, he uh, he has The Moment podcast. I wouldn't recommend it over this one, but you know you may want to give that a look uh, if you're interested. And uh, he also uh, in in page six fifteen of Tools of Titans, there's a great intro to this exact book. So uh, I'm gonna turn this over to Eric, who's gonna go ahead and read. That that uh, that page to explain why Koppelman recommended this book
1: Yeah, here's what he had to say every morning. What I do is based on the morning pages by Julia Cameron in the artist way It's three longhand pages where you just keep the pen moving for three pages no matter what no censoring no rereading It's the closest thing I've to magic I've come across if you really do it every day in a real disciplined practice something happens to your subconscious that allows you to get you to your most creative place I'd say, and I know you've had this experience with other things you've given people, and here he's, he's talking to Tim Ferriss. I've given that book to 100 people, and I said, I'm telling you, you need to do this. Of those 100 people I've given it to, maybe 10 of them actually opened the book and, and did the exercises. <laughs> of those 10, seven had, have had books, movies, TV shows, and made out successful. It's incredible. That book changed my life, even though it's very spiritual, and I'm an atheist, well, there you
0: go. So, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about Julia Cameron, the author?
1: Yeah, Julia Cameron um, lives in in Manhattan.
0: She's at j underscore Cameron live no, on my, Twitter. That's that's Manhattan, New York City, not Manhattan, Kansas. Just in case yeah. those of you out there were uncertain of that. But Manhattan yeah. in New York, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep. The <laughs> uh, the New York one.
0: The Big Apple, not the um, Little Apple. Yeah.
1: So, and, and just a side note, I was thinking about this the other day, uh, cause I, right now I'm reading, um, the Agassi book and, it, and it's fascinating to me that, or, or it's just cool. It's a cool time in history, I guess, in, in that we can read a book and then follow the person on Twitter and, and see what they're talking about on a daily basis. Uh, it, it just struck me this week. And, and so Julie is another one of those. She's, she's alive and well and, and, uh, is, is quite active on, on Twitter if you're, you're interested. She's an American teacher, author, artist, poet, playwright, novelist, filmmaker, composer, and journalist. And I just found this out today, and it kind of blew my mind. But she was married to Martin Scorsese from 1976 to 1977. So, in in reading this book, I just i i i, I just would not have have uh, have thought that. Well, but she that, does
0: reference her marriage to a very successful. director so yeah
1: and i just didn't look it up when i was reading it but um (laughs) this is she's written quite a bit and uh but but the book we're discussing today this is her her best known best known book so going into uh an overview of the book it's it's sort of a a workbook type of, of feel to it uh there's large margins if you get the if you get the 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 print copy of the book Um, Did you, did you
0: read print copy or did you do iPad or? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I used, uh, I used, uh, my, my eBooks here. Okay. Yeah. When, when there's an eBook that exists, I prefer it because, uh, well, I can get my uh, notes and all that out of it a lot easier and I can take it with me pretty much everywhere. I can, you know, as you know, I'm, I'm, uh, guilty as a workaholic as we'll talk about later and as one of the things she singles here in terms of uh, having multiple jobs and being on the clock uh pretty much all the time so it's good to have it uh have it be able to read this sort of thing on on my phone while i'm in line or something so
1: yeah well there's a there's a lot of margins in the books uh, to to where she encourages you to to write things out she'll ask questions so it's kind of like you read through a chapter get some get some ideas and then and then uh can can go through some questions that she has at the end of, of each chapter. So, um, I, I, I actually read through the book rather quickly. Uh, the, Julia Cameron suggests taking 12 weeks to go through it. Um, I did some of the exercises, uh, just even going through the the book. I, I mean, I would, I would try to make notes, but if there was like, if, if she said like list 10 things, uh, about such and such, I might do like five of them. So I, I kind of breezed through it. I, I know if I did take it slower, I'd get more out of it. But it's it's basically a book about recovery. And if if you're a creative or you want to be a creative type and you feel that you've lost your art, you've lost your creativity, uh, no matter what the reason is, the, the book contains tasks, uh, habits, mindsets, different things to free yourself from that blocked state or uh state of being asleep as a as an artist and uh two two main ways that uh she suggests doing that is is through things that we'll talk about in in a little bit but it's uh morning pages and the artist date so basically taking time each morning to to write just kind of free-flowing writing and then uh taking at least two hours a week to set a date on the calendar where where it's you time
0: uh, with your inner child
1: yeah (laughs) So, I wanted to just kind of give an overview of what uh, the book I- is like, and it, in in a lot of ways, it's similar to a previous book we read, Bird by Bird, uh, uh, kind of regaining that that art, or or um, getting unblocked, I guess you could say. What were your initial
0: reactions to the book? Um, as is my my way, uh, mixed. Uh, a little bit mixed. I mean, I think overall, I I think this is, I I would say much more positive. I, I had much more of a positive reaction to it than a negative reaction. Um, you know, I can nitpick all sorts of things. It's just, you know, part of my, my way. Uh, but, uh, I thought overall, I mean, reading through this as a creative, as someone who's constantly working in that arena, uh, I thought that the vast majority of what she had to say in here, if people follow what's in this book, it'll work. She's right about very, very nearly everything she says in terms of how to make sure that you get unblocked and unstuck and, and some of the, uh, the ways of of thinking about, uh, productivity and and creativity and all that. And I, I think generally speaking, most of the book in terms of suggestions and all that, this, if somebody does want to unblock and become either discover creativity that they weren't aware that they had, or basically finally get to the product projects that they and, and, that they want that they've wanted to do forever and all that, this I think is a very helpful tool. Uh, it's probably very useful for those who actually are blocked, and and a lot of what it, a lot of what it says in terms of suggestions, there are things that. I over 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 my life I've, have have uh, sort of come to. So there was a lot in this where it was like, oh yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, and I think the practices that that she's suggesting are good ideas as well. So that said, there are some you know we'll get into some of my my complaints about uh, where she goes with this. Uh, I think one of my biggest complaints is that there's a little bit of a. Um, of a uh, power positive thinking quasi Joel Osteen kind of uh, uh, you know, affirmation produ- you know, you speak the, 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 you speak what you want into existence sort of approach to some of this that in some ways, I actually think there's some truth to, to, to much of that in terms of uh, you have not because you ask not kind of thing like, you know, you, you, you don't get what you don't ask for. You don't find what you don't seek. At the same point, there's there's some complaints that I have about about that approach in terms of uh, where it can go once it's stretched to a certain point, but we'll get to that, uh, I think, a little bit later in the podcast. Uh, it's probably not good to go with that in in the overview. So I have a few little complaints about some of those things, but overall, I mean, I thought this was... Uh, I mean, both of us read it pretty quickly because we're, you know, doing this project uh, and not doing it as not using it as a tool. But my impression was that this as a tool would be a very, uh, very useful and very productive tool for most artists, particularly those who are trying to get uh, back into some sense of productivity. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I I had generally a a good, good view of the book and and like you said, uh, kind of hit on things that I'd I'd come across, uh, in my life just through experience. And, um, so look forward to, to talking, talking through it. Uh, so we'll get into our, our favorite quotes here. (laughs) Um, my first one is, is in regards to faith where she says creativity requires faith. Faith requires that we relinquish control. And that's one thing about this book and, and Koppelman hits on it where he, he said, even even though the book was spiritual, and I'm an atheist, there it, it was, it was it was interesting to him, and uh, I I I liked that part of it. Uh, Julia Cameron comes from a, a Catholic background, so there there's a lot of um, uh, faith, God, Christian God type stuff
0: uh, that that loosely Christian God. Loosely, I mean, she's yeah, that, very yeah. influenced by a lot of uh, sort of. Um, uh, a lot of Eastern writing, you know, Meister, Eckhart, you know, all sorts of different things mixed in with some, what is very clearly some sort of some Christian foundation there, but, but yeah. Yeah. And, and, um,
1: I, th- I, I think a book about creativity has to have, have that to some degree because we're not, we're not talking about concrete things in, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, it, especially how it's, I, and I'm going to go into my second quote here because because it, it goes into to what I, what I'm trying to get across here. The second quote I learned to get out of the way and let that creative force work through me. And then another one: art is not about thinking something up; it's a it's about the opposite, getting something down. The directions are important here. And I I connected with that with with creativity when when I've when I've had it come through the most in my life it's it's never been uh like from from down up like from down within me up out of me it's more something that comes from outside of me through me and then and then it happens and and it's it's something that's it's hard to explain and i i, th- I think she did a good job of 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 trying to explain that and and that's why that's where i think the that faith aspect has to come in on a book like this because you're talking about things that, that when you, when you realize that they really do happen uh, or some creative uh, music thing you do or or writing uh, and you're like, where in the world did that come from that? Like I I, I know I did not do that. Uh, There's gotta be something that's, that's working outside of that. So uh, I, I connected with that and, 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 and yeah, just think that that it's gotta be, it's gotta be in the conversation about, uh, about creativity and um i think she she's kind of all over the place but on it but um but (laughs) i liked
0: how she did talk about it yeah I, i i actually appreciated a lot of where she went with that and and actually in uh christian theology this is often very much neglected in more modern uh christian interpretations uh where you know in the in the in the Hebrew Bible and in the New Testament, you get this theme of being uh, a partner with God in the process of creation. So mm-hmm. obvious example of this is in Genesis 1, where humanity at the very beginning is endowed with the, uh, with the image of God and is, uh, is told to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth and to have dominion and all that. These are God-like roles. Uh, that involve the process of creation. I mean being fruitful and multiplying is actually creation in, in in that sense as well. And then you get the same thing in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul says in uh in 1 Corinthians 3, where he says, uh we then are God's co-workers. That that concept has uh, in in Christian theology has been brought about brought out uh more clearly as humanity is specifically called as the image of God to be co-creators with God, to bring about good in the world as a part of of the natural order that God has created humanity for. So, uh, and similarly, you know, you have this idea of uh, the church is the body of Christ. And so what God does is done through the people on earth who serve as the hands and feet and so on of of Jesus Christ, who's working through his people. So, you know, the idea of the following the gospel is to become an agent of justice in the world. is, is how I often will summarize that when uh, when teaching this uh, uh, that that those concepts. So, that's that idea, and she definitely does in other other ways in more roundabout ways get get to some of those things, but does so in a way that is uh, friendly to those who are not from a Christian or Jewish. Uh, or monotheistic perspective i mean it's it's very much available to anyone she just says listen in order to be a creative person you have to recognize that creativity doesn't just come from your conscious mind that you have to kind of tap into this collective creator that works through you and if you can't if if you're not willing to to recognize how that works then you're probably not going to be very creative so you know, that, that, that's one of the foundations that she starts with. And I think she's probably, I think she's pretty much right. Yeah. And it's uh it's, it's an important concept for me. I mean, I, I
1: named my company EPR creations for that, that reason, that just the, that co-creator aspect of, of creativity. And uh, so I, uh, you know, I, I've been thinking about this kind of stuff for, for a long time. And so it, it was cool in this book and in, in bird by bird to see, to see it fleshed out a little bit. So
0: Yep. So my first favorite, uh, the first, well, I'll put it a different way. That way it's not, I'm not saying it as though it's my first favorite, my, my most favorite first favorite quote. The the first one on the list is a short one, but boy, is it true? Nothing dies harder than a bad idea. Yeah. I'm just going to let that one sit. Nothing dies harder than a bad idea. Man, you can double tap an idea, you know, going to the zombie thing. You double tap. Don't get stingy with your bullets. No, those du- those bad ideas, they come back worse than zombies. She is right. Nothing dies harder than a bad idea. just going to sit with that one.
1: I like the zombie uh,
0: reference to that. <laughs> so do you want to do another one or should I hit? I guess I'll do another one. Um. As artists, we can literally reap what we sow, S-E-W. Uh, and this is part of a larger uh, section where she's talking about how learning to, to make the space for your creative juices to begin to flow and learning to fill the well, as she talks about. You can't, you can't create from an empty well. You have to have water to, to pour out or to draw from the well. Uh, she says, any regular repetitive action primes the well. Writers have heard many woeful tales of the Bronte sisters and poor Jane Austen, forced to hide their stories under their needlework. A little experiment with some mending can cast a whole new light on these activities. Needlework, by definition regular and repetitive, both soothes and stimulates the artist within. Whole plots can be stitched up while we sew. As artists, we can very literally reap what we sow. And I found that to be very true, actually, when I, you know, sometimes if I am blocked, if I'm struggling to to get ideas out or to put things together, one of the things that I'll I'll do and she talks about this is, you know, I'll I'll go cook, I'll go I'll find something repetitive to do, uh, whether, you know, working out of certain types, you know, ride a bike, do different things to just get yourself into this repetitive point where you're not consciously concentrating on what you have to do, and you can let your mind just sort of wander, it's extraordinarily stimulating. And that's the sort of thing that actually we need to be able to do to be able to be productive uh, creatives. And, and, And again, I think she she puts it really well and explains how you have to take that time. It's not always procrastination. It's actually time where you you're letting your brain relax enough to actually refill so that it actually can it can do its work sort of unconsciously, subconsciously. Yeah. When I, I mean,
1: even now I, every time I run, I go out with my headphones on and I'm listening to podcasts the whole time, but I'm like, you know, sometimes I should just take at least one run a week where I don't listen to anything and just kind of let, let the mind go, you know?
0: Yeah. I've found that, you know, and I'm, I'm so constantly listening to podcasts as well. Um, I, uh, I also have taken to making some of the, some space there a little bit more frequently. Where when I'm in the car, just driving with no n- nothing on, no music, no podcasts, walking around a little bit with no music, no podcasts, just making some space because I've got to let the brain relax a little bit in order to keep myself from from uh, from creative uh, drought, and that's something mm. that she. Uh, I think does a good job of talking to. And we have to be careful that we don't overstimulate, that we don't wind up in, you know, I say this on a podcast where we're reading 52 books and talking about 52 books in a, in a year. Um, but, we, but you know, she talks about, you know, you can read too much of other people's stuff. You can do, you can, you know, constantly have so much going on and you're intaking so much that you actually don't have the space to digest and to relax and to refill. And that part is important if we're going to be productive creatives. So mm-hmm. I, I think she gets that right.
1: Yeah. And kind of case in point with this book where, where I just flew by it, I flew through it. And I know you did as well. And it was one of those where, yeah, if you, if you did spend a little more time with it, it would, uh, it'd be a lot more, uh, more powerful, I think, but maybe for, for another time. So speaking of along those lines, my, my next one for a workaholic work is synonymous with worth. And so we are hesitant to jettison any part of it. And this one just stung me because uh, that's me. I mean, if I I, like I remember in my first job, if somebody would come by and and talk to me at my uh, illustrious cubicle, I I would just I would get I would get mad. I would just kind (laughs) of try to give them every single sign I possibly could that I'm working. I, I don't talk when I work. I'm working and uh so i'm I'm really bad with that and, and especially since i work from home and uh there's kids at the house and and just stuff that that needs to get done I, I i have a really bad tendency of work is synonymous with worth and so if if uh if i need to do something other than work my worth goes down and, and it's a really bad way to to obviously look at it so
0: yeah well that
1: one stung a little bit
0: yeah there are a couple that stung like that uh for me as well that one uh hit a little close to home for me as well because uh I also uh, <laughs> talk to my wife about this and she'll tell you that you know that she is hesitant to interrupt uh, <laughs> in some case uh, in some cases because you know you don't want to uh, you know she doesn't want there, there's the section in here that's also related to this or at least I related it to it that you know when the creative is uh is um interrupted uh, you you get the snap, which you're, you were just talking mm-hmm. about. Like you know, you're trying to communicate. Like you know, no, d- d- like stop. And you know, there are times where you know she'll go to say something, and I'll just turn, and it's my expression of you know displeasure at being interrupted while I'm in the flow. That she's just like never mind, and it makes her <laughs> hesitant to to say it, to to interrupt me, which is you know not always a good thing because you know you need to communicate with your spouse, and there's important things you know. Other really important things here, but uh but yeah that that one definitely uh <laughs> definitely hit very close to home. okay, so uh next one for me, uh oh, I really liked this one. It is impossible to get better and look good at the same time. now, granted, i, I understand I am an exception to this, but for everyone else, for all my, all the listeners and all that, this is something that i I'm constantly trying to reinforce to students and to you know anybody that that learning requires failure. (laughs) Yeah. Learning means you're making a fool of yourself. It's only once you have learned that you're no longer making a fool of yourself by trying to learn. So it's impossible to get better and look good at the same time. And then she continues to say, by being willing to be a bad artist, you have a chance to be an artist and perhaps over time, a very good one. But if you're not willing to be a bad artist, then you have no chance of being an artist at all. So... Yeah, I, I liked that a lot. Yeah, that's good.
1: Uh my my last one here. She's talking about a friend of hers. Jenny runs for her soul, not her body. Yeah, that's madness. That's awesome. <laughs> I that's
0: thought awesome. you had another one up there. There's one more that you haven't read. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we'll Yeah, we'll, once we'll, you we'll, hit we'll, once do... you hit
1: one and then I'll 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 close out with that one. Yeah.
0: So um <laughs> this one is uh is one that I I very much relate to anger is a tool not a master anger is meant to be tapped into and drawn upon Dra- used properly anger is useful so then she further you know plays this out about anger and she says sloth apathy and despair are the enemy anger is not anger is our friend not a nice friend not a gentle friend but a very very loyal friend I loved that section because when people have asked me like, you know, what it's periodically, this will, you know, people who have read my work or, you know, in interviews or whatever, uh, people will ask, you know, what, what really, what really drives your work? What, what, what inspires you to write? And my answer, I've taken to, to giving a one word answer, which is rage. <laughs> yeah.
1: I remember you mentioned this in, in bird, bird by bird. And, and that, that's one thing that, uh, <laughs> and Lamont in bird by bird suggests that people are stuck. She just says, find what makes you angry. Something that makes you angry. Yeah. And that you'll, works you'll for start, me.
0: Right. Yeah. It works for me. No questions asked. Anger stimulates the, the, uh, the creative juices because you know, somebody's wrong on the internet or wherever else. And it needs to be fixed. So <laughs> now I have the stimulation to actually do the uh, creative project, whatever it is that I'm doing.
1: All right. Well, I'll hit my last one. And uh, it's, it's my experience that we're much
0: more afraid that there might be a God than we are that there might not be. <laughs> yeah, that actually is on my list as well. Uh, and it continues with incidents like those above happen to us, and yet we dismiss them as sheer coincidence. People talk about how dreadful it would be if there were no God. I think such talk is hooey. Most of us are a lot more comfortable feeling we're not being watched too closely. And this betrays actually, she's probably borrowing a little bit of this. If not, it's exactly the same sentiment as what was said by C.S. Lewis uh, some, what, 30 or 40 years before this was written, where Lewis talked about his conversion to Christianity, and he actually takes on the, the Freudian idea of wish fulfillment and he says, listen, if I had my own, if I, it, it, you know, Freud's idea of, you know, God is wish fulfillment that we all wish for, you know, a great parent in the sky. He's like, there's nothing I like, I dislike more than being interrupted. And the, you know, the idea of a God who has the right to interrupt and inconvenience me at any point, and that I have to actually live according to someone else. And I, you know, I, that, that. Uh, that someone else is watching me all the time, that makes me extraordinarily uncomfortable. If I had my wish, I'd, I'd wish that, that that wasn't the case. Well, and she and says and exactly Lewis, the same.
1: Yeah, and Lewis says he, he was the most reluctant convert in all of England. <laughs> so
0: Right, right. Because, you know, again, he would have preferred, you know, I I can do what I want and not be interrupted. Whereas, you know, if there is a God, there might be requirements that that God imposes upon you that, you know— you deal with and and she the 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 last couple quotes that i uh i had actually relate specifically to that one so they'll build right off of it she says ask and you shall receive knock and it shall be opened to you these words are among the more unpleasant ones ascribed to jesus, to jesus christ <laughs> and i've said that for years and she she just puts it so well there that it i mean it's dead on like wait that's frightening if I if I actually might get what I ask for like what if I ask for bad stuff what if I ask for things that aren't good for me like that's 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 terrifying right and then she says answered prayers are scary they imply responsibility you asked for it now that you've got it what are you gonna do uh yeah that's kind of the problem so yeah that's a frightening saying you know right there that um again gets back to this idea that it's kind of, it's kind of scary, this idea that you might actually get what you asked for, that there might be a God, that there might be some, some marching orders that, you know, you're created to do. And, you know, as soon as you realize that, like, wait, what, that, that's, that's, that's scary. And then she further goes along and says, oh, and by the way, take your life in your own hands. And what happens? You know, she's saying, take action. You know, actually, this is, this gets back to the faith thing that she talks about that you ha that was in your first quote that faith requires that we relinquish control creativity requires faith she says you know you have to step out and actually you know start writing start doing the thing that 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 you want to do creatively she says, take your life in your own hands and what happens a terrible thing no one to blame <laughs> and there's a lot of these sort of little pithy things in this book that i i really liked some of the uh the little aphorism type uh quotes in this that that a lot of them are along these lines. I, I really liked a lot of those. Yeah, when she quotes
1: uh, from different people throughout, and it's in the margins of the book, and it's really nice. too. a lot of good quotes there, but yeah, and the the asking and, and you shall receive. I remember, when I was a kid, I used to. I, I remember laying awake at night, and I would do this multiple nights in a row, where I I was I was praying that God would turn me into a frog so that I would know that He was real. <laughs> and i'm re- really glad that didn't that one wasn't answered.
0: yeah yeah there you go i mean i i, I the, the, there's also you know the the man who prays to you know marry the beautiful pageant contestant and you know woe unto that man sometimes <laughs> who receives what he wishes which is for right yeah oh anyway uh that comes from a conversation from some friends of mine who uh were talking about a good friend of theirs who did marry a pageant winner and and, you know it's life can be difficult when you get what you want (laughs) (laughs) so yeah um let's go ahead and get into a little bit more of the uh the details of this book and interact with some of the concepts a little bit more um First things first, uh, we should talk a little bit more about the morning pages and artist dates. Uh, This is what she has to say about morning pages at the beginning. She says, The morning pages acquaint us with what we think and what we think we need. We identify problem areas and concerns. We complain, enumerate, identify, isolate, fret. This is step one, analogous to prayer. In the course of the release engendered by our artist date, step two, we begin to hear solutions. Perhaps equally important, we begin to fund the creative reserves we will draw on in fulfilling our artistry. So that's the basic framework that this whole book depends upon, is this idea of being willing to free associate and write stream of consciousness freely every morning to sort of get that stuff out of your system and confess it before God. It is absolutely sort of, and, and it's what evangelicals uh, might often call prayer writing. Uh, this is what she uh, builds her whole system on: is do that in the morning, and then once a week at least, do this artist date where you open yourself to the opportunity to, um, uh, you know, free up your inner child, your artist, to uh, to to get some sense of what needs to happen. So, uh, you know, to, to fill the well, that sort of thing. So that that's the structure of it. I, 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 th- have you tried any of this, Eric? Yeah, I've uh, so I read this book in June, and, and I've been doing the morning
1: pages since then. I, I was regular on it for a while, and then um, recently with with child and, and moving and stuff, uh, I've maybe just done it like once or twice a week. But yeah, I'd, I'd say for a few months there I was doing it, uh, probably five, six, seven times a week, uh, in the mornings, and yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing like earth shattering, but but I guess uh, what it did help was to just get the ideas out of my head and onto paper, and so I, th- I think there's a lot of benefit in that of just, uh, and and I would try to do what she said of just, you know, not having a plan for what you're going to write, but just just letting letting stuff come out. But I used to journal a lot, so I, I, what mine ended up being were, were, were just more like journal entries instead of... It was kind of s- stream-of-conscious slash journal entry instead of, I think, what she's going more is just for a, a stream-of-conscious.
0: Well, I think... I, oh, I don't, don't think... Uh, the writing, way she but. the way she puts it, I, I don't think that there is a right or wrong way to do it uh, except to overthink it. So yeah, if what you're doing is stream-of-conscious journal entries, that seemed to me to be what she was actually... Getting at in certain spots where it's like you know that's what that, if that's what comes out that's what you do, yeah. So you know I think that is more or less what she's going after. Well, and for me, I
1: I, I mean I, I live a lot of my my life in in my head, and so I th- I think that it it did help me in that sense of it's it's almost like after I would write something out, it's like okay I've I've dealt with that. It doesn't need to be in my head anymore. I've 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 put that somewhere else. It, it, yeah kind of that that idea of transferring i like i read getting things done that book that book uh with that title getting things done and that was one of the things that that he suggests is you know if you have an idea in your head of a task you need to do don't don't keep it in your head like write it down immediately and whether that's you do that in evernote or some task manager thing the idea is the the more you have that in your head uh the the it, the more space it takes up for more important thinking that you need to do. So whenever something comes up, like the the author of that book said he would have a uh, notebook by his bed. So even if he woke up in the middle of the night, he would write, write it down. Uh, so I, I kind of think about or earth think, thing. <laughs> I, I, I thought about the morning pages kind of in that light of like, is stuff going on in my head. It, it allowed it to get out to where it didn't take up that space anymore. And so that aspect of it was very helpful for me. Uh, I think once once things kind of calm down again in in my life, I I will try to get back into it, uh, doing it each each morning. Um, yeah, it strikes me as uh, uh, it's go ahead. Well, yeah, just but more for that aspect of of getting things out and, and kind of seeing them on on you know where I type it to see see it there
0: and and not have it keep circulating in my my brain yeah it strikes me as a very helpful practice i mean i have not adopted this as i just recently read this book uh more i read this much more, more recently than you did um but uh it strikes me as a as a very helpful practice as, as you know it, it's one of those options i don't know that you necessarily have to use that particular form but i think mm-hmm. some form of meditation prayer that do, that serves basically the analogous purpose is 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 necessary yeah Uh, and i mean do you journal at all or or anything like that never really have no um uh, you know i I think i've tried like two or three times and just i I, it it goes by the wayside within a few days it's just not something i've ever as disciplined as i am in in lots of ways that's one area where i've just never had the discipline Uh, in in high school i did all the
1: time i mean i probably every day in high school I, i would um so i i I have in the past, but, um, yeah, just not as much recently. And then, and then as far as the art estates go, I I haven't done anything like that, uh, as suggested in this book, but I could, I could definitely see that being a benefit. And maybe after, after we move, um, (laughs) it's just tough with, yeah, with current with your current situation with a newborn
0: yeah. and everything else. Some of those things are, uh, are a little less practical at the moment, even though yeah. the book wants you to very much claim that time, regardless, practically speaking, that life does intervene in some of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I think the key is, is being available is making yourself available to have space to think and to, and to be loose to me the the artist date thing is more about, uh, freeing up your ability to be I don't want to say juvenile but childlike um more more that than anything to make space to not be so serious and focused on you know adult problems all the time to make space for that and and so you know, when I was reading through the artist date thing, I was like, for for me, this is probably not going to be all that useful because, uh, I, I already live, I, I'm, I'm already, uh, I'm already basically a child anyway. So, um, <laughs> you know, a lot of the, a lot of what this book was suggesting as, you know, in order to, you know, free yourself up and unblock as a creative, you have to do this. And I was like, well, I live like that. So <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably why I'm not all that blocked. So, uh, <laughs> but I, that is a key, a
1: key part of this book where she talks a lot about play and and we saw that a lot in natural born heroes where instead of this strict idea of, of going to the gym every day and 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 doing set workouts more of the idea of going to a a jungle gym or a, an an adult playpen type thing and
0: which I was at today actually
1: yeah and and i i like that you know it's not not a uh, more the idea of free play as opposed to, to structured structured living so that's that's something that really stuck out to me in, in this book and I think it's a good suggestion and, and as you say you, you you equate the artist state with that of, of playing and and yeah you definitely be more of that
0: yeah I mean the, in, the thing uh, is I mean you, you know me as uh, you know well enough to know that uh, I, I certainly don't take myself too seriously. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> with these sorts of things, and when it comes to you know, there were there were a lot of the places in this book where it's like, think of something crazy that you would never do, and I just read it and I was like, uh, well, <laughs> nothing's coming to mind, you know. Think about something, you know. Stop fearing that your family and friends would think you crazy, right? Uh, okay, um, you know what, uh, what, you know what would you do that uh, that that just that you would never imagine yourself doing, you know, think of something that you wish you could do, but you would never imagine that you would actually do. And it was like, mm, nothing's coming to mind. <laughs> yeah. But for me, I was like,
1: I'm writing, I I was writing stuff down a lot in those things. Cause <laughs> yeah, you,
0: you, you, uh, you, I'm, you live a little I'm tighter to. to the vest than I do. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was, I was reading through this and I've got a lot of little marginal comments like, um, yeah, not, not feeling anything, you know, it's got like this, there's a whole section on shame. Like if there, if it were so easy to take an action, you know, and all this stuff about shame, like uh that, um uh you know, what will the neighbors think? I, yeah. I, I, I live, you don't. I live without shame. So, <laughs> I mean, completely without shame. <laughs> so, the, a lot of the lists and questions that she had didn't really apply all that well to me because, well, you know, I, i guess i'm not all that blocked with that stuff yeah so yeah uh, <laughs> trying to find a couple of these let's see um you know oh another one that was funny you know the, the enemy within the core negative beliefs this is probably a good place to talk about that right uh how did you respond so this is that section on the sensor right so you have core mm-hmm. negative beliefs, right? You've got these, you know, if I go to become an artist, then you know, people will hate me, I will go crazy, I can't spell, I don't have enough good ideas or whatever. And then it says your ally within. You've got that 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 section, uh, where it has um uh as block creatives, we often sit on the sidelines critiquing those in the game. He's not so talented, we may say, of a suddenly of a currently hot artist. And we may be right about that. But then uh it it basically says uh uh Okay, here it says, uh, as block creators, we tend to regard those uh, these bogus spotlight grabbers with animosity. We may be able to defer tr- to true genius, but if it's merely a genius for self-promotion we're witnessing, our resentment runs high. Now, that is true. I think you've probably experienced that as much as I have. This is not just jealousy. It is a stalling technique that reinforces our staying stuck. We make speeches to ourselves and other willing victims. I could do that better if only. You could do it better if only you would let yourself do it. Affirmations will help you allow yourself to do it. An affirmation is a positive statement of positive belief. If we can become one-tenth as good at positive self-talk as we are at negative self-talk, we will notice an enormous change. So then she says, okay, we can easily and without embarrassment bludgeon ourselves with negative affirmations. I'm not gifted enough, not clever enough, not original enough, not young enough, etc. But saying nice things about ourselves is notoriously hard to do. It seems off, It feels pretty awful at first. Try these and see if they don't sound hopelessly syrupy. I deserve love. I deserve fair play. Because I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. Go. And gosh darn it, God. people like me. Right? No, that's not in there. But I deserve a rewarding creative life. I am a brilliant and successful artist. I have rich creative talents. I am competent and confident in my creative work. And then she says, did your censor perk its nasty little ears up? Censors loathe anything that sounds like self-worth. They immediately start up with the imposter routine. What do you think you or who do you think you are? So what was your response to reading this, this passage?
1: Yeah, I I agree
0: wholeheartedly.
1: <laughs> I any time anytime anyone says anything good or I think something good, I'm I'm right away back with uh Yeah, and even in that section, I'm in that section right now and I I wrote all the like when she was talking about those types of things. I wrote out all the, she calls them blurts. Yeah. The yeah. Objections that will
0: start yeah, it, it, to
1: pop up like burnt toast. And so I just wrote the bursts.
0: Yeah. It the says uh, the, 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 the sensor objects. Hey, wait a minute. You can't say all that positive stuff around me, right? That's when the objections. Yeah. And so those are your blurts.
1: Yeah. So, you so wrote I, a bunch I wrote of those down. down.
0: Yeah. And I mean, even, even with,
1: with music, like, uh, <laughs> I mean, I played music since I was three years old. I've, I've taken, violin lessons since i was three but (laughs) i I, even with that awesome violinist well and and i but i still i still hear those things even with that so it's like um yeah yeah it it really doesn't matter what i do it's it's like website development well you're not really a a designer you you didn't do design uh (laughs) running well you're not really you know all these guys are are better than you at running and uh, it, yeah it does it doesn 't really matter what it is it 's like I, I hear that stuff constantly yeah. in my head, yeah carrie but you was, don't uh, yeah my you wife don't or?
0: no my wife was saying you you really shouldn't put this in the podcast it 's not the sort of thing you want to admit publicly but <laughs> I, I, my marginal note for the the these are your blurts is not the case for me. my sensor is dead or asleep. My first <laughs> response is, yep, this is true <laughs> when it says you know It says, try picking an affirmation. For example, I, blank, your name, am a brilliant and prolific, and then, you know, potter, painter, poet, whatever you are, so writer or whatever. Write that 10 times in a row. While you're busy doing that, something interesting will happen. Then it says the censor will come in and say no. When I do that, it's like, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I wish I I, had that. I've I've worked really hard at this, and, you know, I think I'm pretty good at it. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, okay. Uh, and I don't have, I mean, there's, there's not any, like I, that experience of the sensor is, is so removed uh, because generally speaking, it's like, well, because I don't know, years ago I had this realization that everybody else is always obsessed with themselves and their own concerns. And like, you know, I realized that nobody else is really like tends, nobody else tends to watch, be watching you. Yeah. Right. We all have this sense initially that, like, oh no, when I make a mistake, everybody's gonna everybody's gonna be paying attention to me and watching me, and you know they're they'll all, think bad of are all me. too concerned about their themselves. yeah. They're all wrapped up in themselves, thinking the same thing. And it, it occurred to me when I was young that that was the case. I, I don't know, maybe my dad was you know told me that or my mom, but you know it, it, I took it to heart and I realized everybody else is obsessed with whether they're you know gonna get it right or not. So I don't have to worry about it. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, so <laughs> I'm just gonna go ahead and do it. And I hear all these people talking about, you know, and this is true in the, uh, in, in the academic world all the time. I hear, you know, my colleagues talk all about, you know, their, uh, imposter syndrome, you know, sense of imposter mm-hmm. syndrome. I don't have it. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, oh, you know, I'll, uh, you know, you'll never overcome imposter syndrome. Why not? All you have to do is, is recognize that everybody else is faking it and, then at that point, it's well, OK, even if even if I were faking it, I'm doing a pretty good job, so I'm no more of a faker than anybody else. <laughs> and as it as it stands, the stuff that I'm doing, I'm working really hard at and I ain't faking. So, OK, <laughs> yeah, I, I wish It'd be awesome. Now, I did have another note on this as well, where it talks about censors loathe anything that sounds like real worth, real self-worth. They immediately start up with the imposter routine. Who do you think you are? And I actually, I think that there is something to how Western culture has been founded on, th- this actually, I think, goes back to certain uh, Christian theologizing uh, over the over the centuries where there's been a constant concern in the West, in particular, about pride or arrogance. And in particular, this idea about working for, sal- working for your own salvation in sort of the Protestant West, right? You You never mm-hmm. want to be someone who believes that, you actually do something of value or worth. Because as soon as you say that, now you're basically the only, that's the only way you can be irredeemable. What you really need to admit is that you're totally depraved and that, you know, only God is good and that there's nothing good in me. Like for me to say, I've, I've done anything good, like that's, I don't want to do, and there's a theological basis for that, particularly in certain Reformed or Protestant communities. And mm-hmm. so what you're told growing up in that in that world or once you're in that world is if you think that you're good or that you're good or good at something at anything then that's a very dangerous thing and it's yeah. also everyone else's job to remind you that that's not true
1: <laughs> right yeah my my, my uh pastor in, in college said eric you're a piece of
0: sh- in s-h-i-t yeah yeah and that was the yeah yeah so this is where you get that doctrine that there's, you know, of total depravity that human beings, there's nothing good in any of us. And, uh, and actually, you know, this interestingly, in my view is, is not compatible with the, uh, with the notion of human dignity as image bearers that you find in earliest Christianity and in Judaism. So, uh, I, you know, and actually there's a, a there was a podcast, another podcast, uh, probably about a week or so before we recorded this, we'll put the show in the show notes. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. But, uh, uh, there's a podcast in which a theologian from uh, from the UK talks about how the doctrine of total depravity, as put forward in the Reformation, is very much a departure from early Christian notions about uh, human nature and about you know uh, about humanity in in, in general. Uh, and it's certainly a big departure. I mean, I, I spend a lot of time working in early Judaism. It's certainly a big departure from the the view in Judaism. Uh, and I actually think that the tendency of Jews not to come from this angle that all human beings are, are made totally depraved and that there's nothing good in human beings. The tendency of Jews not to come from this angle is actually, I think, a part of why so many Jews have been successful creatives. Like disproportionately mm. in the West, you look at look at Hollywood, look at a lot of authors, look at a lot of successful uh, a, a lot of a lot of the successful uh, sectors of society, and you find, uh, in, particularly in the creative sectors, and you find Jews everywhere disproportionately and i think that's one reason i think also there's uh you know statistically jews tend to be uh, more highly educated more urban and so there's some other factors here but i think that that factor is one of the reasons that uh that this is a theological factor and now even though in the the modern west it's largely post-christian that Christian foundation of, well, we're all sinners, we all have our, you know, we're all screw-ups, there's nothing good in us, that part still has kind of stuck with the culture. And I think that's really the source of a lot of this negative censor that we have to get past. And I think one of the reasons that I I don't have the same level of censor or same filter on that is because I grew up without that theological baggage. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and that—that's something I—I'll credit my parents with. I didn't grow up with that, you know, that angle of, um, you know, oh, you know, you better not think you're good at anything, or you know, if you think you're good, or if you think you're, you know, anything you do is going to please God, then you know, you—you you got another thing coming. Uh, that—that's not that idea, you know, the idea of resisting any idea that you know what you do matters in the eyes of God, or that it, that it could be good in the eyes of God is is. I think that's a, a a big foundation for that. I found that I found that interesting as a as a as food for thought as I was reading through this.
1: Well, and uh, kind of ties in with with a note I had here of the the love your neighbor as yourself, and the flip of that is that, that you must love yourself to love others as yourself, and I, I think it kind of ties in with this if you're if you're constantly just berating yourself as. Uh, totally depraved and all that. Then how is that going to impact your the love of your of your neighbor?
0: Yeah, if you treat yourself like a piece of uh, feces, if you believe that you're nothing more than a piece of feces, and you treat yourself that way, and you think of yourself that way, then it's not going to be too long before you're going to think of other people that way too. If you're going to love them like yourself, because you don't love yourself. Mm-hmm. And and that's you know that's a hard lesson to learn. But I think that's something she gets to here is that in order to be a, pr- a productive and successful creative. You actually have to love yourself and you have to accept that God loves you. The, the creator created you to to love and be lovely, uh, to use Adam Smith's language from uh, the theory of moral sentiments, uh, but, to, you know, to love and be lovely. And that the first step is actually to to admit that and to be willing to love oneself. Mm hmm. And, and, and then of course, to love oneself, you have to get rid of the things that aren't lovely, <laughs> Yeah. right? Cause you know, we all, there are things that, you know, we say, uh, you know, I don't like, I don't like that part of myself. Well, and that means I need to be consistent. I need to, I need to eliminate that. And she talks about some of that in this book as well. Yeah. Um, I wanted to hit on a corridor
1: principle, which, uh, my entrepreneurship professors talked about. And my entrepreneurship professors were very. Uh, they didn't. They didn't. They they were both actual entrepreneurs. They didn't. We, you know we didn't get a textbook on entrepreneurship and then read that. It was like you, you were hearing from their lives and we had to create companies and uh, just kind of a different approach than I think it's taught in in most most uh, programs now. But um, this the the corridor principle is basically if you if you start down a path. Uh, doors will open up within that path within that corridor that you you just never would have anticipated and and she hits on this a, a few points in the book. Uh, there's even a, a Joseph Campbell quote that that she hits where it's follow your bliss and doors will open where there were no doors before. Uh, and then another section in outsized lives such moments stand out. Large as Mount Rushmore Lewis and Clark headed west. Isaac denison took off for africa we all have our africas those dark and romantic notions that call to our deepest selves uh-huh. when we answer that call when we commit to it we set in motion the principle that young dubbed synchronicity loose, loosely defined as a fortuitous intermeshing of events back in the 60s we call it we called it serendipity whatever you choose to call it once you begin your creative recovery you may be startled to find it cropping up everywhere uh so i i, I just i I always remember that corridor pr- corridor principle because they said that was the only principle they took from the, from the business books or or whatever, um, whereas everything else was was more from their experience. But um, but I, f- I find that to be the case just even with with the the work the work I do there or, or starting starting a company, uh, just it it opens up things that you you never thought or or never planned and one of the purposes of this book is, is to get you back. I mean, the the subtitle is a spiritual path to higher creativity. So it's, it's getting you to start walking in that direction where, where, where these types of things will, will begin happening. Um, but it's not something that you can necessarily say, well, I'm going to start going this so that this happens and this happens and this happens. No, it's just kind of a, things start happening. You could, you just never thought were possible or, 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 could have foreseen happening.
0: Yeah. Reed Hoffman on, uh, on the, um, uh, I don't know if you're listening to, uh, the, uh, masters of scale podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's
1: ex- excellent.
0: The, the one from this week was on how, you know, the, the best, the most scalable ideas are the ones that come at you sideways. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. you know, you may be going down the corridor, but all of a sudden you get hit by something else. And that ends up being the thing that really, that really, Takes that's the thing that makes it and it may not be the thing that you expected and she's got a great quote on that in this book actually where she says uh, you know it seems as though uh, the way the universe works is is that you shake an apple tree and the universe gives you oranges. (laughs) <laughs> the universe sends you oranges. You know, she says, "Yeah, you know, shaking trees, going out and shaking the trees is important, but understand that the trees you shake may not be the things that you actually get. You're gonna get, you know, the the the, the universe is funny that way. You know that that you that something may come at you sideways, but the main thing is you got to get in the corridor. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, I like that as well. Well, there there
1: was one suggestion that I, I didn't like. <laughs> I knew I debri- knew you wouldn't like it. Deprive yourself of reading, and uh, you haven't you, tried you hit to on hit, it, huh? that a little bit earlier. Well, I mean, not this year, obviously. Cause <laughs> I'm trying trying to get through fifty two books, and I'm on forty two right now. So it's looking kind of dicey if I'm going to make it to uh, do I'm, ten more I'm, here in the I'm the getting, rest of the year. I'm but. getting
0: uh, to where I'm probably not going to quite make my goal either, but we're getting close.
1: Yeah. Well, and and the, the cool thing is even at 42, that's the most books I've ever read, read in, in one year. So even, uh, even if I don't hit 52, it, it was, um, I've, I've enjoyed it, but, um, yeah, but, but just that idea, kind of what we were talking about before, where, uh, building some space into your life of, of, for me, that might mean, uh, running and not having headphones on or, or, uh. I mean, and anytime I'm walking or, or doing chores around the house, I've, I've always got a podcast going. And <laughs> maybe it's maybe, you know, I can every once in a while not do that and, and just kind of let let the ideas go. Well, I mean, and there is is
0: there there is a certain point at which like how much more how much more can you learn from the next yeah. podcast episode? I mean, you've you've heard almost everything before. Now it's time to yeah. sometimes to get out of the way. So you have to make strike that balance and figure out where you're at in the in the corridor. Yeah. Yep. Anything else that that stuck out to you? Well, I like one of the quotes about the reading deprivation where she's explaining it. She says, for most block creatives, reading is an addiction. We gobble the words of others rather than digest our own thoughts and feelings rather than cook up something of our own. Mm -hmm. First of all, because it's a lot easier. And secondly, because there's no risk to it. Uh, I, I, I liked that idea that, you know, sometimes in order to really get to where you can create, you have to stop gobbling up the junk food of what other people are saying, step away from the stream, as we've talked about previously uh, on, on prior episodes, and start to let something simmer in your own head and, and mm-hmm. you know, think, find, figure out if there's anything of value that you've got to contribute at that moment. So I, I like yeah. that. I like that image. Yeah,
1: that was good. Um, again, we, we come across a lot of ideas of the small things. Oh yeah. Uh, the changing small habits and how, how that can, can impact. and, And she had some quotes for that. You didn't realize how many small things you could do to improve your own life. And then she quotes Tolstoy by saying true life is lived when tiny changes occur. And another one in talking about space flight, by altering the launch traje- trajectory very slightly, a great difference can be made over time. And my, my, my golf game is an example of that. You've, <laughs> you've seen that firsthand. <laughs> it's just, it's uh it's something that comes, has come up a lot in a lot of the books. And, and I'm, I'm sure I, I realized it earlier in my, in my life, but for some reason I, I, I think of this year, 2017 as being the year where this really hit home for me. And, whether it's uh, exercise, uh, reading, uh, g- g- um, g- relationship stuff, marriage stuff, like the it's 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 the small things that can really change the trajectory. And I I, I guess part of it is I, I kind of always had this big this idea that there'd be these big bang things in life that that happen, and and that's where the tra- trajectory changes in your life. Like uh, some big thing happens, and then. That's, that's the, that's the thing. But, but what I'm really realizing this year is it's the small things and, and doing them on a consistent basis and, and a daily, daily, the, the daily habits and, and how that's, that's really the things that make a difference. And, yeah. and she hits on that a lot in this book.
0: No single, no single snowflake thinks it's uh, responsible for the avalanche
1: we're all special snowflakes.
0: Right. Well, but again, I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, in order to get the big things, you have to, It, it the big things are, are created by collecting just enough little things to actually, until finally you ha- you reach that tipping point. Mm-hmm. And, and it's only by getting those little things that you can put yourself in position for the big things. So I, I and she talks a lot about that. Uh, mm-hmm. And I thought that was, that was very useful. I I also liked how she talked about, the, the process of inspiration and how creative inspiration actually works. Uh, and, and again, one of the, one of the quotes that I, I'd, would uh, highlighted on this goes back to this, these little things, the small things where she says, art may seem to involve broad strokes, grand schemes, great plans, but it's the attention to detail that stays with us. The singular image is what haunts us and becomes art even in the midst of pain, this singular image brings delight, and I can think of numerous examples of great artists in in the past, and movies and all sorts of things that were built out from one image that the that the author just couldn't get couldn't shake couldn't get rid of. Mm. Uh, you know, C. S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia started with this image in his head of a uh, of a lion that he just couldn't shake for for years and years and years, and finally he wrote, and it all came out of that 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 uh, that image and actually the 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 first image of that with the 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 fawn and all this all that stuff all that's coming out of the imagery that he'd had in his head and he just started writing from the imagery and ultimately ended up with a classic children's series as a result of just following a few images that had stuck with him for you know for for like a decade Hmm. and you know that's one example or uh goodwill hunting goodwill hunting grew out of one scene like in the middle of the movie Right. The, the scene, I, I'm pretty sure if I remember right, it was the scene where uh, where Will and uh, Minnie Driver, I don't remember the name of the character right now, but um, but but where uh, where Will and Minnie Driver are having a talk over the over the table in, you know, in uh, in, uh, in in outside the bookstore and all that. And he's just going back and forth with her. The whole movie grew out of that. He had an image of this particular thing that he wanted to play with for for a class. And then the project just started growing and he started like the character grew and then he, he got a story out of it and it's a brilliant movie. It's the little image, that little thing. And then the commitment to just sort of, well, okay, let's plant that seed and let's see where it goes. That ends up producing great art. I really liked that concept of inspiration that she, and the way that she explained it and expressed it and how to get to it, I I thought was, was one of the more useful pieces of the book and it occurs in multiple chapters. That's really cool. I did also like her, her, again, the emphasis I read above about, you know, doing repetitive activities and so on. Uh, I I highlighted this one because it's just so true for me, where it says, why do I get my best ideas in the shower? An exasperated Einstein is said to have remarked. And is that true for you? For me, what's what's funny is uh, I always say I I solve
1: more problems on the way and in the bathroom, on the way to (laughs) and in the bathroom than... So in you, front of my computer so, Van Halen. so yeah so when I, w- well when I had office space I, I would just sit in front of the screen trying to solve something and I would just sit there and sit there and it wouldn't work and I was like I'd finally get to the point where I was like I just have to go to the bathroom I'd stand up open the door get in the <laughs> hall and I would solve it it was it was, it was amazing it was just even that shift of just getting up uh, out of being in front of the the computer screen I could I could I get solve. and then a lot for me is running too yeah um and so it's a really important time for me where I just kind of even if I have the podcast going I'll just kind of zone out for a little
0: bit and then um and then you have to go track back on the podcast to catch up where you were because you start thinking yeah I do the same thing yeah but uh but you know she continues and she says uh brain research now tells us that this is because showering is an artist brain activity I don't know exactly how research could show that but okay <laughs> showering swimming Especially if scrubbing. It's electric uh electric currents going (laughs) measuring the brain in the shower yeah it could be complicated showering swimming scrubbing shaving steering a car so many s like yes words uh all of these are regular repetitive activities that may tip us over from our logic brain into our more creative artist brain solutions to sticky creative problems may bubble up through the dishwasher emerge on the freeway just as we're executing a tricky merge learn which of these works for you and use it Many artists have found it useful to keep a notepad or tape recorder next to them as they drive. Steven Spielberg claims that his very best ideas have come to him as he was driving the freeways. This is no accident. And oh man, if this is not true for me again, mm-hmm. for me, it's the shower and driving, especially when I don't have something on. Mm-hmm. So what I, while I was working on, while I was finishing my dissertation and when I was in the most difficult spots where I just was stuck, I, you know, because I I work and I've explained my creative process before as a writer, as I work as a mosaic, I'm a mosaic thinker. I see all sorts of pieces and stuff and how they come together to create a, a cohesive whole. But then the hard part is getting that cohesive whole described in a linear fashion. And that's really hard. Yeah. And so when I would get stuck during my dissertation, I would actually just go and I would sit in the shower I would just I would just turn the water on and I would just sit in the shower for however long and just sort of let my just sort of meditate and just let the shower block off all other thinking. And I would sit in the shower and let the water run. And I know it's terrible for the environment, whatever. So 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 shoot me, (laughs) Um, but I would let the water run and I would have my iPhone, which has the voice recorder right outside the shower door or right outside the tub. And. I would just sit there and all of a sudden it'd be like, Oh, I'd have that jolt of inspiration and I would pull the, pull the phone, you know, and, you know, turn it on quickly, you know, you know, rub my hand off with a towel real quick, pull the, turn the phone uh, recorder on, and then just dictate what I, what I was thinking, what, what came to mind. And some of the most complicated, complex parts of my dissertation were written that way. And before actually I started doing the, uh, the, the, the recorder, uh, one, you know, one of my earliest, uh, published articles, uh, I, I was doing this with as well. And, and early in the, earlier in the dissertation, before I was using the voice recorder, my wife would laugh at me because I, I would go and sit in the shower or stand in the shower or whatever. And then she'd see me run naked through the house and feverishly begin typing on my computer. I'm like standing up naked at my computer, typing feverishly, trying to get down what I, what had just come to me in the shower and I get down as much as I could, and then if it was enough, then I'd go and towel off, and I'd come back and resume. Or if it wasn't, you know, I'd get what I could down, and then like back to the shower. <laughs> meanwhile, she's she's saying,
1: "Hey, I, w- I just wanted you to meet the new neighbors that yeah, would be right
0: here." <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, it, I found that you know using the recorder was even better because then dictating. Was the way to go. And I found that for a lot of my more complicated writing, I dictate first, I dictate to get the stuff on the page and then I can edit so that you don't deal with any of the perfectionism of like the grammars wrong as I'm typing this out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same thing in the car. I've always got my iPhone there and I've got dozens and you know probably hundreds at this point of notes and voice memos of various things that w- that either are currently a part of a project or a future project or whatever that come to me while I'm driving and it's the same thing. And the thing is one of the best things you can do as a creative. And I think she's right about this is figure out what works and then make sure you have the tools ready to take advantage of that. So mm-hmm. if it's showering, keep it, keep a, a, a friend of mine actually gave me a waterproof pen, uh, uh, pen, like a pencil or whatever, a waterproof pencil that will write on um, the wall of the shower because he actually, will use that to do equations and stuff in the shower that come to him and all this stuff uh, or write down ideas so you can write on the wall and then later on you can erase it. Uh, So I've got one of the, you know, you can do all sorts of these things that take advantage of how when your brain relaxes, you can suddenly you can suddenly uh, uh, benefit from that. And you don't want to lose the inspiration by saying, oh, yeah, clearly I'll remember it. No, you won't. So, yeah, I I loved that little section about how, you know, to use that inspiration stuff. Yeah. Well, you also had some critiques of the book, correct? Yeah, a few. I mean, there are some that are just nitpicky. Some of them are nitpicky. I mean, you have you know she she just as a pet peeve of mine she says you know christ said wherever two or more are gathered together there i am in your midst and he didn't actually say that the 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 gospels record where two or three are gathered together you know i'm really really that's pedantic but you know don't at me um but one of the other issues that i had is that you have particularly in one of the central chapters you have this idea of um where, where you're recovering a sense of abundance and possibility, you know, some of, some of those sec, uh, sections where you have this idea that God's generosity is going to come in and, uh, you know, God will, uh, will basically, um, you know, you just, basically you, you, you affirm where you want to go and God's going to meet you there and, you know, he's going to make it possible. So, you know, state what you want and get there. I, I'm really, I'm cautious of that. Uh, partly because, in my view, if a theological conception of God and the universe doesn't apply so well to say uh, an Indian Dalit or a woman in, a- in Afghanistan, then maybe it doesn't work. Uh, it maybe it maybe it maybe it's not quite framed well. So you know, yeah, you could make the case. Oh, you know, just you know, name your, your ultimate goal. And, you know, I, I visualize, you you hear this with, you know, Tony Robbins and these people where, uh, uh, and Joel Osteen and some of these others, where you get this idea of like, you know, just visualize and affirm that, you know, that nice, uh, big house that you're going to have down the line. And eventually, you know, God will bring it to pass. Well, is that same principle true of that woman in Afghanistan? Like, it may, you know, there may be some uh, synchronicity that's possible, say, for someone who is living in the U.S. on some of this, but I'm really nervous about applying that lesson or to say that that's how things work when, you know, someone who's in an oppressed situation that that, that if you told them that, it's it, I'm, I'm sorry, it's just not going to work. That woman in Afghanistan can envision that nice house with a picket fence, but odds are it's not going to come. Mm-hmm. So on the flip side, I do think that this idea of viewing God as a God of abundance rather than a God who is miserly and doesn't want to give good things, I think that's an important lesson. I think that's 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 true. And I think that learning to reshape our will to to figure out why we've been put here and to do that Is really important and sometimes that involves serving you know and more often than not that involves finding a way to serve serve other people so that you know maybe that woman in afghanistan does have a better life as a result of something that i did over here chaos theory right but um you know i made i may be able to do something here that down the line in a generation is going to help someone on the other side of the world
1: but this this uh, makes me think of the bird by bird where where she's talking about God, God may want to, God may look at the foundation you have or, or what you're wanting to envision or, or do and say, you're, you're, you're on the completely wrong path here. We need, we need to, we need to get rid of all this and start over. And so I think that's another side of all this of, of what if you're, what if you're envisioning or, or trying to speak the wrong thing into, into, into being almost that idea we were talking about earlier of, of. Uh, your your prayer your prayers being answered or, or be careful what you ask for you just yeah. might get it
0: yeah sometimes you know we need to be and that's where the listening part is I think more important than the affirmation part and you mm-hmm. know she she spends more time on the affirmation part in some of these particularly in some chapters but there there seems to be more attention on the affirmation part and really getting people to believe. In themselves, as you know, agents of 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 God's creativity and so on, more so than the listen for purpose part. And sometimes that I, I I'm just afraid that certain parts of this get turned from the necessary lesson of you need to love yourself and you need to recognize that 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 God is is a God of abundance and loves you and so on to excusing selfishness. And there are certain parts of this where it's like. Mm. You can be creative and you can still serve others. Mm -hmm. You can be creative as a way of serving others. You can be, you know, find a way to serve others in any way possible. That's going to, that's going to make lives better and make lives matter in this world. Because ultimately, yeah, creativity is great, but making art that, you know, just for the sake of art, isn't necessarily going to, it doesn't have meaning in itself. Art doesn't have meaning in, in and of itself inherently, we need to find things that actually do have meaning and find ways to be creative in in ways that are going to have meaning. And some of that has to do with helping other people and serving other people and, and making other lives better, not just, you know, finding a way for me to have a creative outlet that makes me feel good. So that was probably my biggest objection in the book is little is is I could have uh, I think there could have been a little bit more emphasis on that. I don't think that she would oppose anything that, we're, that I just said. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my reading of of what she has in here is, is largely that she's aware of that and is conscious of that, of that difference. And she does talk about the importance of having your vision transformed and listening to the creator to, you know, get some sense of what you, what you, you know, what it is that you should create and what what your target should be and all that. So that's there. I just wish it could have been a little bit more accentuated because there are some things in here that could be taken, I think, the wrong way on that other side. Uh, Mm Um, and that was, that was my biggest, my biggest complaint. Uh, and then the other pedantic thing is, you know, she says, marathon runners suggest you log 10 slow miles for every fast one. And that's definitely not true anymore, but may, may have been in 92 when she wrote it. That actually, it was true then, but, but research has shown otherwise now. And I, I actually think in terms of the advice of, you know, spend a lot of time doing, art that's bad or whatever, you know, just slog through, I think is sometimes bad advice as well, because I, I tend to find that when you're at that point, it's time to step away and take your shower or whatever and, you know, take the time off so that you, your bursts are more productive, but yeah, that point we're, we're nitpicking a little bit, but I, I I like the book a lot.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's been really funny how the, this list of books so far that there's been a lot of, um, series of two books where it's very similar topics uh so we've got once an eagle and we've got about face we've got um we've got this book the artist way and we've got bird by bird uh so it, it's kind of a, a neat way where we can compare them Yeah, which uh,
0: which one did you like better between this one and bird by bird i, I would say this one yeah me too um, I, I between yeah. the two if i was going to recommend one to somebody i would say this one yeah. there's a lot of good stuff in Bird by Bird too, but I I would recommend this one above Bird by Bird by Bird, especially because it doesn't just apply to writing.
1: Yeah, and then the the other benefit of it being more of a workbook type of of book, uh, Bird by Bird is more of a, you you read through it and you could take some time to to write some stuff out, but this this the Artist's Way actually encourages you to write stuff out while at, as you're reading it. So yeah, of of the two, I liked uh, I, I connected more with with this one. So, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that was kind of my main conclusion that, uh, that, that it was similar, but I, I like this one better. It was just a really helpful book in taking a step back and, and recovering what, what helps you to create art. And, and, um, I've, I've, I've been doing the morning pages. I, I, I hope to get back into it a little more in the future again. Um, and, and I'll just kind of close with, uh, this, this one quote, that, that she has, I'm suggesting you take the term creator quite literally. You are seeking to forge a creative Alliance artist to artist, with a great creator. I just thought that was cool. It's, it's stuff I've thought a lot about since, um, since 2008, eight ish in my life around that time. And, uh, so I, I, I like that, that someone's written about it and in this type of a format.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, again, I, I related with a lot of, um, uh, with a lot of, of what this book had to say. Um, I liked it's, it's view of, uh, of creativity in general, it's view of inspiration. One thing we didn't cover, and I'm actually going to close with a quote, not from this book, but it talked a lot about, um, how all, well, it talked a few, in a few places about how, all creativity and so on ultimately stems from the creator that flows through us that we're actually just sort of uh, riffing off of the creativity that's already out in the universe that we're just shaping it conduits right yeah we're conduits and that there's nothing new right one of the things I, i i also liked is you know the efforts to try to be original that that's that's toxic because there is nothing original all art is always just you know riffing off of and and uh working with what's already already there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you have that, that idea of, of inspiration that you're, you're shaping what's already been provided by the creator and your conduit for the creator. One of the things that I, uh, uh, that I, I really appreciate about that is again, that, that gets back to my understanding of, of, of creativity as well. And it's something that CS Lewis talked a lot about. And I've, I've mentioned him a lot in this podcast, but I think there's a lot of similarities, uh, with what he says about, uh, inspiration in, in his book, uh, surprised by joy and, and art and the function of art and how all that works. Uh, but there's a song by six pence on the richer that I, it's one of my favorite songs. And there's a particular, um, uh, a particular verse of that, uh, of that song, which it, it, the song is about creativity and about, you know, doing what you're made to do. Uh, and I want to close actually with, the, with that, with a quote from that because it gets to this idea of what creativity really involves about working with what's already with, with with what you're tapping into with what you're seeing in this realm of the creator as it were uh where it says you're you're the scent of an unfound bloom a simple tune i only write variations to and i i i've always liked that particular uh that particular idea that you know there's this scent that we, that we, and this is the concept of joy and C.S. Lewis is surprised by joy. There's this scent of a flower that is in our imagination that we can't quite touch, but it's what we long for. And yeah, there's this simple tune, the simple tune of the cosmos that I can only write variations to, but that's what I do. Right? So, uh, And then it says, you know, a key that will uh, so uh, uh, to soothe the mood, uh, a drink that will knock me down to the floor, a key that will unlock the door where I hear a voice sing familiar themes that beckons me, weaves notes in between, a tap and a string, a bow and a glass. You pour me, you pour me till the day has passed. And then you have, this is my call. I belong to you. This is my call to sing the melodies of you. This is my call. I can do nothing else. I can do nothing else. Mm. I love that concept because that is what it is to be a creative, to be someone who, and and her argument in this book is that every human being is is born to be a co-creator with God. Every Mm. human being is born to be creative and to find what that call is, what, what, what what little variations to the simple tune that's already been written—that we're all hearing—a little bit of the strains of what? What contribution can I make to that chorus, to that melody? Because that's all I can do. It's—I can do nothing else. I've always loved that song. That's cool. So I'll wrap with that one. That's cool.
1: Well, she does in the reading list of the, the back of the book. She does have C. S. Lewis's *Miracles* in there.
0: It's fascinating that that's the book you would choose of his yeah, because it's probably his worst book. <laughs> but "Surprised by Joy," actually, and we'll put a link to to uh, the information about that in the show notes. "Surprised by Joy" is the book that is really most about some of these artistic concepts, and, and there are a couple other places where that that comes in. It's a uh, it's a pretty cool pretty cool book. Cool. Well, good. Well, that's going to do it for us today.
1: Before we get out of here, just a reminder, you can follow us along at booksoftitans.com. We have a lot of resources there and uh, the reading list where we're at, reviews of each of the books. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Books of Titans as well. Find us on the the podcast solution, service, whatever that you use. We'd love to, to get a review from you. Uh, or just even ping us on uh, one of the social platforms. Let us know how we're doing. You can always write us a letter. Yeah. Yes, snail mail. Or postcard. Postcard. Oh, that'd be awesome. From, from wherever you live, that'd be, that'd be really cool. Uh, we will be back soon to discuss the next book, which will be the autobiography of Malcolm X. On behalf of Jason Staples, I'm Eric Rosted, and this has been the Books of Titans podcast. Thanks for listening. Keep listening. Keep improving. And keep it real and keep reading let that part out